Hello and welcome everyone to the inaugural episode of the Knife Nuts podcast, the show that delves deep to bring you the best and worst the knife community has to offer. My name is Levon and joining me on this frankly silly voyage are two men with absolutely nothing better to do than talk about knives. Introduce yourselves, boys. Hey, what's up, everyone? It's Dave. Uh, you may know me as Misanthropia. And I'm Jake, uh, more likely known as Whiskey Pickle Jake on Instagram. Wow, so much for keeping the uh, the taglines, the uh, usernames to the end of the podcast. But well, we'll just move on. From <laughs> <laughs> so in addition to these two, for the first episode, we're excited to have a very special guest. Uh, he was named Best New Maker at the USN Show and Blade Show in 2014 and took home Best Tactical Folder at the Blade Show in 2014 and 2015. God, I'm sure RJ Martin was pissed about that. Please welcome Mr. Sharp by Design himself, Brian Nadeau. Brian, you're supposed to talk now. <laughs> oh, is it my turn now? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's it's safe to say no one was expecting this much uh, format. <laughs> it wasn't really format, it was more of an intro. Brian, just say hi. Hello, how is everybody doing? <laughs> it's funny because you just did a New Jersey accent on top of your New Jersey accent. <laughs> is that possible? I don't. I didn't know. It, it just like, happened. It was New Jersey inception that just went down. Well, I promise everyone this is actually a show about knives, and we're going to be talking about them in depth. I mean, it may not be your average show because we don't take ourselves very seriously. But uh, let's see what happens. Hopefully you haven't stopped listening already. Uh, Dave, what's the format look like? All right. Uh, so we have some hopefully interesting segments trying to change up the whole knife podcasting thing. So we'll have some basic segments like what we carry today. But we're also going to have a little new section where uh, each of us will come up with an interesting story. Or if we just have one big story, we'll just talk about that. But we're also going to have some uh, interesting sponsors that we've recruited first to support us financially. And uh, we're hoping that we'll get some pretty good guests. So I'm looking forward to looking. it. <laughs> Aren't we all? So, Brian, this is your first time on a podcast, am I right? Correct. You've been interviewed by other people before, but most of those places, you know, most of those interviewers kind of sucked. So is this your first time actually being on a show where you're, you're happy to be here? Did I say I was happy to be here? I just assume. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes, and I'll let you know if I'm happy to be here or not. Sounds good. Sounds good. Uh, so first on our list is, any, what did anybody get anything new? Anybody get anything new recently, knife-wise? Yeah, I actually, um, what's my most recent one? It is the Wii Knives 703. It's one of their new budget models. It's like a 3.75-inch blades D2 uh, contour G10 handles. Stainless steel liner lock. It's actually really impressive for hundred bucks. I uh, I like it so far. But where's you, that made? <laughs> you know where it's made. <laughs> it's in, it's under China. under a hundred bucks. It is a hundred dollars exactly. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I will say that the communist pride screws are actually really annoying. So like at one point, you, have you ever seen them? They are like a star but it's yep. the stars upraised. Yeah. Anyway, so they're really, really sharp, and one of them isn't countersunk enough into the handle, so it is like stabbing yourself in the hand every time you grab it in a certain way. So other than that, it's pretty good. That's just what you want with a knife, is one that actually stabs you back. Yeah, you know what? It's an active user experience. Do they include... <laughs> 
Do they include the little bit to get to to adjust those? Yeah, so they, they include the bit, but the problem is that the bit is like this little tiny keychain thing that doesn't fit into a larger driver, so you can't really get a lot of torque on it. it, it it's not the best system, but I haven't had to disassemble any of them yet, and I have three three Wii knives so far. But crazy. Yeah, I don't know. They're hmm. I, I'm pretty impressed with what they're doing, so I, I like them. That's good to hear. Jake, did you get anything interesting? Well, our most, uh, my most recent endeavor was uh, two PTs at the same time, as oh, yeah. you well as you well know. <laughs> I, wait, what's the uh, second one? It, they, yeah, they were just two identical oh, okay. uh, big big belly MSC PTs from that last run with the, uh, you know, were they? The I don't sl- know what else to call it. Big big belly blade. Were they the slip joint versions, aka the fucking frame lock that he just didn't bend the frame lock? <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, no, th- these were the frame locks with the uh, with the pre-cut section. <laughs> yeah, that, with the functioning frame lock. That shit is so yeah. absurd. It's, I thought it was an actual slip joint. It's just a fucking frame lock that he didn't bend the lock bar it, over. Yeah, it just it just has an extra detent hole in the open position. That's, that's about it. <laughs> really? Yep. yep. And that's a slip joint. Wow. What an innovation. Yeah, a, it works. It works. And I, I, have, I have close contact with uh, at least one European who... Uh, well, one or two really who don't quite follow the uh, the no locking blade, uh, you know, law. I guess it's a law. It's not really a, a <laughs> cultural policy or anything like that. But uh, they they just carry whatever they want. It seems. Yeah, I, I don't really get that. It's it's weird. Brian, when are you going to give us a non locking typhoon where you just skip the step where you bend the lock bar over? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't hold my breath for that one. All right. It would be especially interesting because the blade just goes, you know, conceals directly in the handle. So I guess you'd have to shake it open. Yeah, you do the uh, the fucking hinderer <laughs> tactical wrist flick. Yeah. <laughs> I actually got a new production knife. Ooh. Oh, that's right. Yeah. The yeah. That might have been. This might be the first knife purchase that you didn't warn me about first. Yeah. This uh, is definitely other, other than gifts. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely an impulse, but I uh, purchased the uh, Zero Tolerance 0460. It's that uh, shrunken down uh, Sinkovich. How do you say that? Pol- Polchecki? Pol- Polychotki, I think. Polychotki, yeah. Um, a nice little knife, I've got to say. It's 180 bucks. Uh, it's got that carbon fiber with a bronze weave in it. It's kind of neat. Uh, ergos work. You were asking me, Dave, about how the ergos work on, on such a, a curvy knife, but it's kind of got that, like, upswept Persian type look or like a John Gray perversion uh, profile and it works really well. I've been pretty uh, pretty pleased with it. And on top of that I got I finally got my uh, my uh, Sharp Eye Design Mini Typhoon and it's probably in my top five knives that I've ever carried. So I love that thing. That's awesome. giddy. Brian <laughs> Brian, I know uh, you're not you're not one to carry many knives, but uh, what's been going on with you? Carrying wise, sure, or knives in general, you know. No, no uh, I'm just making them and getting them out, man. I'm I'm busting ass every day, just trying to fill, you know fulfill the orders. And now I'm panicking because you know Blade is coming up, and I'm saying crap, it's eight weeks away, and uh, I still have all these orders that I got to get done. At the same time, I got to get a bunch of stuff for Blade to make it worthwhile, and you know, not just showing up there for for a trip. I can't believe Blade's only eight weeks away. How did that I know, happen? It's crazy. Yeah. Is is that where we're going to see all of the uh, 
Damascus bladed and strange milling and <laughs> hey, I'm just I'm going off of what's uh, available on the website uh, that I haven't seen in person. <laughs> um, no, you're probably not going to see too much of that stuff. The bulk of what I'm going to bring is probably the simpler stuff. Um, might do a few 3D ones, um, and then I have you know something special that I'm going to bring that I haven't even really talked about too much yet. It's uh. Those are going to be very limited. You know, I'm going to make a couple, handful of them a year. Um, and I'm going to debut them at Blade, so that's going to be pretty exciting. That's pretty cool. And uh, all new design? Yes. Yep. That's pretty very cool. cool. I'm acting like I haven't seen it already. But. Okay. For, <laughs> for those of us that haven't, LeVon. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm excited about it. I'm, I'm, I'm a sharp by design collector, to say the least, so I'm pretty excited about it. No. Um, I just want to say one thing, not to get too far into the topic, but speaking of orders, Brian, when I went on your website and you had the thing telling your customers not to order the stupid fucking color combinations, <laughs> you immediately became my hero. <laughs> I like, couldn't you know, believe you well, did that. It, it, it's awkward, you know? I mean, some of these guys want some weird stuff. Like the one, the guy, the, the color he picked was an orange, but you there's no real orange in the orange? spectrum. Yeah. And, you know, at, over blasting, the orange is re- it's more like a peach. So over the blast, <laughs> after it was blasted and then it was, it, you know, it was blasted, vibrated, and then anodized, it was like flesh tone. It was just horrible, <laughs> you know. Yeah, flesh colored chevron pattern. Yeah, it was. It was. It was tough. So you know what? People got to remember. You know, everybody wants something different, so they try to pick something that's a little wild. And you know, I think in the end, you're going to be disappointed. They're harder to keep clean. Um, and when you go to sell it, which most people do at some point, you know, you mm. won't, you don't want to be, you know, have three people interested in it. You want to have, you know, if you pick something out, you want to get something that you're going to have a biggest pool of people to, to pick from, you know, it's, uh, yep. I, I bought a, a secondhand, uh, sharp by design knife, uh, about a year ago where the seller, it was the same exact story. He, he thought it might be cool when he was ordering it and then he got it and was like, uh, there were so many better things I could have chosen. Why did I do that? But Obviously, it still looked great and functioned well, but just as far as uh, you know, the, all those options, he was overwhelmed. Can we also point yeah. out that, like, if you are buying a five hundred dollar knife, how do you not know that orange isn't one of the colors in the anodizing <laughs> spectrum? Like, you know, well, when you look at it, you know, it looks a little orange. It's it's very light, you know, and they don't realize that once. And I, it, you know, and I'd like to explain this to everybody. This is a chance for me too. You know, it's um. It's hard to explain the little quirks of each color and what happens with it. You know, like um, in the high voltage colors, it on one surface will reflect pink and on the other surface will reflect blue. And that depends on your surface finish. And so thing, things can get a little weird. Now, I can't go to each person that picks out these whacked out colors and say, you know, this is what's going to happen. It just takes too much time. Yeah. You know, I mean, already just just. Just to take the orders, I was open for a week and took a week's worth of orders, and he's gone. And welcome back, Brian. I think we had a little bit of technical difficulty, but uh, looks like you're back now. All right. Uh, do we want to transition to our big news story now? Stop. Yeah, we want to spend a lot of time talking to Brian about uh, his his current uh, uh, crop of custom knives and the uh, the, sh- the mini typhoon. Um, but we want to dedicate a large amount of time to that. So. We want to move on to a little bit of knife news. And the biggest thing going on, uh, Dave, why don't you tell us? 
All right, so on March 31st, suspiciously a day before April Fool's Day, one Mickey Rayburger, a.k.a. Mick Strider, announced on his Instagram in a rather cryptic post that Strider Knives was closing. So this is kind of... Hold on, hold on. Is that his real name? Yeah, his real name's Mickey Rayburger. Mickey Rayburger. I never knew that. You think he had a cool name like Mick Strider? (laughs) One would have only hoped. Yeah, no. Uh, So... Yep, so this is, I think, is kind of a case, and we've talked about this a little bit, but where there is a lot of smoke but very little fire because immediately everyone went fucking nuts because uh, when does a successful company just announce they're closing out of nowhere? Uh, But it just looks like their Strider production knives are going to be continued to be made under the MSC label, and everyone already knows that Dwayne, I mean, if you're out here on the forums like I am, you already know that Dwayne and Mick have had a sort of falling apart or... They've sort of distanced themselves from each other for years now. How can macaroni and cheese distance themselves from each other? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mick was talking real spicy on their sub forum about Dwayne because he somebody posted like, "Hey, my Dwayne Dwyer custom has been with Dwayne for six months. I can't get in touch with him." Mick was like, "Yeah, that that sucks. That's bullshit." <laughs> you know, openly talking but, about his business partner. So yeah. he was like, "Yeah, we're, we don't have anything to do with each other anymore." So this is really nothing. Yeah, so what what's the story? Like the next day they came clean and were like, uh, so yeah, nothing's really going anywhere. Uh, we're just rebranding. Well, they're just acting like first off, their response was really bizarre to me because like you have a bunch of concerned fans and are acting like it's so fucking bewildering that people are worried that Strider is just going away. But they're like, Yeah, we're gonna keep making the knives. They're just not gonna be under the Strider Knives Incorporated brand. Like it's it's So does that weird. mean so does that mean people are now selling their like gunner grip yes. uh, SMFs and S30V for like two grand? Yeah, you better believe your ass that this like <laughs> ghost stripe American flag uh, SNG I have is going up for sale soon. Oh, American <laughs> flag SNG. Oh. Yeah, no, it's it's, well, it's got the very rare, slightly deeper top swedge than the current production ones. <laughs> wow, uh, interesting. So. Strider Knives is is going away, but it's also staying exactly the same. Correct. Basically, yeah, I th- I nothing think, seems to be changing. I, th- I think it Amazing. gets it gets them uh, out of a legal or business partnership officially, so that they can you know move on, do whatever whatever it is they want to do without any uh, you know legal connections. Yeah, business I mean, connections, whatever, whatever. Taxes. The thing that I find interesting is that they're apparently moving out of their current facility in San Marcos, though. I mean, this is apocryphal, but somebody on the forums said that, like, they talked to Josh or something, and they live in San Marcos, and they are moving to some other facility. So, hmm. I'm, I don't know. We'll see. I, I don't think it's going to be a big deal. I, yeah, I mean, I'm already over it. Yeah. <laughs> The um, Likewise. the other thing I don't know if you guys have any other information on this, but another thing that happened in the past week is Jens Anzo actually is oh, starting God. his own company now. Well, his own production knife company is that what's happening? No, it's 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 worse than that. It is okay. So <laughs> I'll consider myself a bit of a hipster, but he started this company called uh, Anzu of Denmark, and it is going to curate collections of like edc gear and the 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 key term here is curate which is how you know it's bullshit so basically he's just going to take fancy expensive stuff and resell it to you with a fancy website and fancy packaging 
Isn't that what he already does? Yes. Isn't that what the giant mouse line is, basically? Yes. <laughs> hey, you want this fox knife? You want to pay an extra $130 for it so that you can have a pirate mouse on the fucking blade? No. Congratulations. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe those giant mouse knives are nice. No, I've never handled them. For all, uh, from what I've heard, they're pretty decent. But, like, I mean, Fox makes the Alamic way for it, Wayfarer 247. So, like, I trust them. Although my Fortis is pretty cool. crappy. You know, we have a maker here that manufactures all his knives in China right here on our... That uh, is very true. I've seen them on, on AliExpress and DHK. <laughs> what a douche you are. Brian, when did you have what that collaboration? What a douche you are. I'm sorry, say that again? I said, when did that collaboration start? I see your knives all over AliExpress. Yeah, it's... Uh, what are you going to do? That's how you know you made it. Yeah. I, I, I think I might have been the first to uh, spot one of those clones on eBay and... and uh, promptly uh text the group very excited that he, that he had made it in the cloning sense <laughs> it's it's the greatest flattery in the world right to be copied so no yeah. it, it really isn't it's uh <laughs> not from the chinese you know it's uh when somebody takes an idea of yours and goes further with or does something with it that's great but when the chinese just blatantly put my name on it even and you know it's like come on brian we know you're you're out there collaborating with them you're a communist sympathizer we all know it yeah <laughs> And let's not forget the the droves of employees he has working for him in his in his you know in my, in my basement foot shot yeah <laughs> your basement uh, but that's a great transition Brian I think it, now is your time to like clear the record about what Sharp by Design is and that it's you um, just just you talk me. a little bit <laughs> talk a, talk a little bit about what brought you to the world of knives. It was a kind of a weird situation. It's, um, you know, I was always, I was working for a company designing and building prototype equipment and stuff like that. Um, and while I was doing that, I was always designing stuff for myself from, you know, I designed some, a suspension for an ATV. I designed, um, a big game fly reel with a new type of drag system. And I, you know, I started getting to all this stuff and it always would get to the patent issues and, now, I was never in a position in my life to, you know, drop that kind of money on a patent, not knowing if I'm going to be able to take the rest of it further, and um, was just too busy to really ever dedicate that much time to that stuff. I mean, I, when I say that, you know, I did have ridiculous amounts of time in the design end of it because I really enjoy that part. But, um, you know, I, I couldn't really go anywhere with any of that stuff. Not that I couldn't. Again, I didn't have the balls to go anywhere with that stuff. So, uh, in the meantime, my wife met one of our neighbors lives down the street. She went to his um, Halloween party and she, and he hand forges knives and she mm. came back the next day or that night and told me, Oh, wait until you see what this guy down the street does. He, you know, he makes knives by hand. So a couple months later, I ended up uh, meeting him and uh, I went down and checked out what he does. And that was that night. I was like, Oh, well I, you know, I have a CNC equipment at work I can use. So let me show you what I can make with a, with a machine. And, uh, kind of that's how it started you know i made my first couple knives um i had kept one i gave one to him because he kind of introduced me to it he uses it for digging when he metal detects which is kind of aggravating but you know it's... <laughs> he definitely uses it as a shovel we're talking about bill here I right and, and he has the most beat up and brian made these really cool looking fixed blades and the dude has this one of brian's like original designs and he has it 
he's been digging in the sand with it for many, many years. And it's just sort of like dulled at the tip. It looks like it's just like polished in the front of it. It's yeah. the funniest looking thing you've ever seen. You know, now that wouldn't bother me so much, but it's like it was my first two knives, you know. It, I was had, you know, a little sentimental value to him there. And he, when I gave it to him, he comes back, you know, two days later. Oh, it works great. I dig with it. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Which is a far cry. It's a far cry from what he says now when, when I when, whenever I take delivery of a new knife from Brian. He's like, oh, you can throw it in a lake for all I care. No, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I, I've made enough where the, that's that's gone. For right. most of them, I mean, there are there are ones that you know. When I, you know, the, that really crisp, stupid stuff that I when I say stupid stuff, just that stupid time suckers that I do of like that some of those three D patterns. You know, mm -hmm. I can I can spend a whole day of programming, a whole day of machining, waste three sets of frames to finally get it where I want it, and you know, I do that because I enjoy that part of it. I don't um. You know, I don't do it because uh, I can make money. That's for sure. I actually have a question, Brian. So backing up even before that. So, I mean, I, forgive my ignorance, but do you go to school to learn this stuff or did you apprentice with someone? How did you, how did you learn all these incredible machining skills that you have? Um, most of it was self-taught. You know, I, um, I started off my career as a printing press mechanic. I worked for a printing company who had, or she fed press webs. Uh, she fed presses, webs, um, all the binder equipment to you know make books and that kind of crap. And uh, I worked there and was uh, a maintenance. When I say maintenance guy, we was you know building maintenance. It was you know machine maintenance, replacing cylinders, fixing the machines, electrical troubleshooting, all that, and um, P you know PLCs and the works. So uh, that's where I learned a lot of my stuff. And then um, I ended up getting a job at a company where I can kind of just deal with the design. I got to, you know, come up with concepts and, and build the prototypes and had machinery at my disposal to, to use to build kind of whatever I had to do to get to it, you know. And it's uh, the only thing that I would ever say that would be better is working at for like a, an IndyCar team or something, you know, where money's not the issue make that thing faster you know that's <laughs> that would be the only job i can get that i would probably think was better than what what i was doing oh, very cool wow so you ended up you now have uh talk a little bit about your uh your shop now uh, where it's located and explain to people <laughs> how what this operation actually looks like today Oh, it's 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 pathetic when you look at it. You know, it's uh, it, it's funny when people come and they see it for the first time. They're like, "What? You make those knives out of here?" You know, it's uh, you know, I live in northern New Jersey in a, in a you know a small house, and my garage is underneath my living room, and it's a real low <laughs> garage to begin with, so it's only one car wide, maybe twenty five feet long. And, uh, yeah. you know, that's where I have my machinery and all, everything that I use. I'd like to have more, but I just can't fit it here yet, and I'm kind of debating. You know, it's it's tough to make the next move to go to something bigger, worrying about rent. And, you know, the, it, the market it just seems so crazy. And I still can't I – mean, part of it is I still can't believe that I'm doing it for, you know, my fourth year already. So it's kind of like, uh, I don't know, I got I to gotta move to something bigger. But I think I'm going to get a property – you know, buy, sell this house, go to another state, get some property and put it in you know, a steel prefab building down or something and 
and get a decent shop going. But you know, we, yeah, this is your full time gig. Yeah. yeah, this is what I do. You know, it's uh, I do it day and night, seven days a week, probably three hundred sixty days a year. <laughs> you know, I mean, Christmas morning, I come, I'm down here, unfortunately. But it's you know, it's not easy to make a living making knives out of your house. It's uh, you, right. you got to you got to work at it. It's pretty amazing, and the the thing that I find fascinating is you you came out with this design, the Typhoon, which I guess was your second folder design. Um, but it's the one that r people really got to see, I think. Right. Well, the first design, um, um, you know, I was still working at that company that I was mm -hmm. that I was doing, um, you know, the R and D stuff with, and um, I made that first folder. I made I only made three of them. And then I got involved in some other stuff and, you know, I really couldn't use that company's equipment to really run a, you know, run a business selling knives there. So, you know, I kind of just backed off and then I didn't make a knife for like another year and a half or two years. And, gotcha. and then when I got laid off, I came here. Just to be clear, is that first knife, the Viper, the one that's on your website? Correct. Okay. So you guys can see that on Brian's website. Yes. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty cool knife. I mean, uh, eh. I mean, there's some you know there's some interesting things about it. You can see the DNA of through throughout uh, the newer models and things. But a lot of the innovation that you brought to the table, like your your lock bar insert, a lot of people don't realize that your your knives don't use a traditional detent. Yeah, so a lot of people, you know, it's it's kind of a flavor that you you know that you got to get a hold of it's not everybody's gonna like it at first you know they're used to this quick ultra crisp break of a detent mine's not really like that but um i think it has some advantages one it's you know it's stronger for sure just mechanically it's stronger you can't drill a hole at the edge of something and push something in it that's bigger than it and not deform metal and fatigue it and you know i did a lot of testing in the beginning when i first did that night when, when i first did the viper and that's what made me come up with that idea of you know getting rid of the ball and machining it in the problem is it's not cheap to do that you know it's uh, you're throwing away a lot of material to just leave that tiny little nub sticking up mm -hmm. but i think it has some advantages and um it's uh it's worked out pretty good so far people seem yeah, to like it it's carried over to every design, the Typhoon, the Cyclone, the Hurricane, and now the Mini Typhoon. I, do you see yourself sticking with that as a, kind of a trademark? I think for the most of them, you know, there are other things I'd like to try. And that's, that's kind of why I'm doing what I'm doing now. You know, for a while there, I was just making a lot of really fancy stuff. And, but I got so caught up in making that same fancy stuff that I couldn't really change things up. So... What I'm doing now is making a simpler, not actually not a simpler design. The design's the same as the, you know, $1,500 versions of these. It's just, um, you know, I'm not doing the 3D work and allowing people to give me any combination possible. I just, I'd like to do that at just too much time. So to kind of simplify it, I'm giving them, let them do a certain amount of options. I'm going to keep these in a lower price range. I can get these out a lot faster than I can some of that 3D work. And it'll allow me to do the things that, try the things that I wouldn't be able to do on a production, I can't say production, because it's not a production knife, but, you know, on something that I'm making quite a bit of. I mean, that's a great point, too, because uh, I, I couldn't believe when you announced the uh, 
the price part point of this mini typhoon you have it starting at 450 bucks yep it's uh part of that was you know by starting and saying every knife the way it is you know with with no options everything is blasted and vibrated so it kind of so it allows me not to have to change end mills that often and you know it lets me get a, get away with surface finishes that i couldn't really have on some of that other stuff but you so, have a cnc so you're just printing these knives out anyway right oh the, uh, they're <laughs> popping out three at a time right now you don't hear it oh yeah, yeah they come out they come out the easy bake oven <laughs> But that's a great point, too. It's like how much, I mean, uh, Dave, I know you'd probably be interested in this, too, uh, and, and Jake. How much handwork is actually going into each one of these these, these knives? Um, well, it depends on each one, but there's always a lot of handwork that's involved in them. There's, there's no, nothing comes off the machine finished, you know. It's uh, some of the higher-end stuff. Even I would like to have done more handwork to them because, you know, when I'm doing a lot of different colors and stuff like that onto a knife, I can't necessarily go back and soften edges and things like that to make them um, feel a little smoother because I'd be taking off, you know, anodizing colors and stuff like that. So I don't do on the higher end frames. I don't do a lot of handwork, but, mm -hmm. you know, it's still... You know, it's not like I put the you know the piece of titanium in the machine and hit go, and all of a sudden they start popping out in the colors that I want. You know, I, it's it's like such a fiasco <laughs> to do that stuff. You know, for every color, I got to take it in and out of the machine. I got to you know, so I do the first machining process. I go, I clean it. I take it out of the machine. I go, I clean it. I um, etch it. I anodize it. Then it goes back in the machine. Then I have to machine the next process. Then it comes out of the machine. That same thing over, cleaning it, etching it. You know, or not, it depends on the edge. Um, sometimes you can't etch in between. Sometimes you have no choice. It depends on what you're looking to do. But um, you know, so just just the anodizing process is you know a fiasco. Trying to get back and forth with. That's kind of why I try to limit things this time and or didn't allow multiple colors in a frame. And it just turns out to be too much scheduling and you know thinking about everything to get it done. I can't, I couldn't do that anymore. Did I answer your question? I don't even know what your question was. Ab absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I think you did. Um, Brian, I had a question, actually, if, if we can interject here. So uh, I'm, I'm a big production knife guy, and one thing in production knives is that whenever you get a 3D machined, you know, a contoured scale, people, companies will always talk about how expensive it was and how difficult it was for them to do it. So obviously you know a lot about this is it is it that much more difficult to make a scale a 3d contour versus a flat scale it's, it's not necessarily more difficult to to program you know i mean i can practically pro if you were just going to say you know machine this surface and or this shape of a scale you drew it all 3d first and said machine this i can do actually program that faster than i can something you know with a lot of detail on the frame or like even a flat frame but with a lot of details and chamfers and stuff where it's just the machine time you know titanium you can't rip through titanium like you can aluminum it's uh it's tough stuff so and you know you're talking about thin pieces so they're always held weird you know you there's a long span a lot of times in between pieces so you get vibration and flex and it's it's really weird stuff to machine so it's just you know, literally from a frame, a flat frame that might take me, you know, 25 minutes to do the outside 
when I said the outside, I'm talking the outside surfaces. You know, the inside is a different a different program. Um, you know, that might take me 25 minutes compared to a you know a 3D frame that could pass depending on how much of a you know how fine you wanted it could take you know three hours. Wow. You know, oh my God. if you wanted a machine smooth, you know, to where you almost don't see marks, yeah, I mean, that could take a long time because you're stepping over such a little amount. All right, well, I guess I believe Spider-Co now when they talk about how difficult it was to do the Sleash Bowie or how time-consuming, so thanks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you look at, like, if you look at some of the, um, like, Escher pattern frames that I've made, <laughs> some of them, you know, have taken eight hours to machine. Yeah, those are fucking nuts. Those are incredible. I just I, and I love doing that stuff. I just don't for for what it takes to get it done. You know, I you know I just I can't do that stuff anymore, unfortunately. But I love it. I love to do it. I don't blame you. It's crazy. Uh, but moving forward, you came. You hit the scene with the uh, with the typhoon. Everybody went nuts. I know it was my first custom night. And it got it got all of this attention. Um, you took it to it. Was that the first uh, knife you took to some shows? Yeah, I um, you know, I always call Blade my first show. I did actually go to a show right before Blade. It was a local a, a local guy um, had a had a show in a firehouse, and that's where I first met. Uh, I, no, I'm not even going to talk about him. Um, Do it. <laughs> uh, you know, so I did go to a show, you know, like 10 people showed up to it. So it wasn't really a show um, like that. But, um, you know, the first debut of that really was Blade. But the funny thing is, is I started taking orders in like, I think it was like February of 2014. Mm-hmm. And I took, I stopped taking orders well before Blade. And I didn't take it, I didn't take a um, an order at Blade for them. Or like for another, I think it was eight or ten months. That was very smart of you because so many new makers fall into that quagmire mm-hmm. of taking way too many orders and then fucking it up and disappearing. Yeah, I don't. You know, most t- most of the time I try to keep it at six months worth of orders. I, I typically do like I say one run, you know, and that'll be enough to get me six months of you know to get them done. And most people know I don't screw around when it comes to getting them done. I I bust my ass to get them out there. It's true. So it's typically most people haven't waited more than six months. So those awards that you started to get, were they, did they come as a surprise to you? Did you even know that those awards existed? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's funny because um, I took I, that buddy that, I, that got me into knife making, Bill, Bill Barrett. He, I, he, he came down to Blade with me for the first time. So this is my first time down there. Um, you know, I'm obviously just blown away by everything that's going on. And then, you know, it's, it's awkward as somebody new who doesn't know shit or shine all about anything, uh, any of this industry yet to show up at your table, setting up the day before and having literally 25 dealers come mob you mm. and, you know, literally th- money getting thrown at you and knives disappear. I didn't even know what the hell was going on at one point. So it's like, wait, 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 everybody just chill out, you know, because I didn't know who was holding what, who walked away with what, what money was there. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't worried about somebody really screwing me over as much as just trying to keep track of it all, you know. Um, and then, I don't know, where was I going with that? Awards. Oh, the awards. Then, um, Bill, <laughs> thank you. You got to keep me on track once in a while. I can, I'll tell sure. you that right now. Um, 
so I have the the knives that I want to enter for the awards, and you have to be at a certain room at a certain time, and you have to go put your the knife down on a t- on the table that is you know the category that you're going in. So my buddy Bill, he's running around gra- grabbing swag off everybody's table. He comes back with fifty pounds of you know hats and shirts and all sorts of stickers and all sorts of crap. So he's out there running around getting this stuff. He's supposed to be back at my table at a certain time so I can go over there. He's not back. He's not back. He's not back. I'm like, I'm calling him on the phone. I'm like looking for, have people looking for him. He finally comes back. It's like 15 minutes after, um, after the day, after the time he's supposed to be there. I'm like, shit. So I go running across the, you know, running across the, uh, the hotel. I get to the room. Everybody's piling out of the room. I'm like, what happened? They're like, it's over. I'm like, son of a bitch. I, I call my wife on the phone. I'm like, I'm going back and punching Bill in the face. You know, I'm like, I'm, I'm, fl- I'm flipping out. Because part of, part of what I wanted to do was enter this, you know. And um, mm-hmm. while I'm on the phone with my wife, my wife calming me down. Police are coming. I see um, one of the judges walk into the room. And I'm like, what's going on? Who won it? And he said, oh, no, we didn't do it yet. I'm like, oh, so I didn't miss it. But, you know, it almost, I almost went back at oh, that geez. point. So I would have missed it if I went back. So I, long wow. story short, I end up getting, I go to the first table. It was it was New Maker, and I, I saw a bunch of different, I saw Chavez's knives down there. I saw, um, uh, there was a, a, a bunch of different people. And I was like, oh, shit, there's no way I'm going to get this, you know. So, <laughs> But I put the knife down anyway, and then I put one on a tactical folder, too. And R.J. Martin had his knife with the, uh, Pivotless pivot or whatever he calls it, right? The non-innovation innovation. Okay, whatever it is. <laughs> Man, he must have been pissed. Anyway, yeah. So then I so, I left. I went back to my table, and like two hours later, the the uh, one of the judges came walking up to my table and said, "You got both of them." I was like, "No way!" <laughs> so I was just like in a daze for a while, trying to get my act together. Holy shit. So then you re- history repeated itself the next year when you took home best tactical folder uh, for a second year in a row. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But before I even went there, I went to uh, Vegas. So Vegas was my second show. The USN show right. in Vegas. Uh, USN. Okay. Yeah. And I, uh, I got best and baker there too. So that was good. Yeah. Who did you share a table with? Cause I know they do like the four people to table. Yeah. Right? Um, the first year. Who the hell was at my table last year? Oh, the first year. Um, Chavez. Um, I think Turpin. Hmm. I don't remember who the other person was. Yeah, we can get into Dustin Turpin eventually, but uh, there's <laughs> someone who has not stuck around like you have. Right. I think he's still around, just keeping a low profile. <laughs> Understandably <Yeah>. so. <laughs> yeah, that skeleton bump. Oh man. Anyway, so like you had your first two years in the business, right? You're you're literally on top of on top of the world, right? And did you have any pressure? It's just like thinking about how the hell am I supposed to carry this stuff through after you know, you know, coming out with this design that wins best tactical folder two years in a row. You know, I mean, did you ever have this fear of peaking too early? Well, first off, it's it's you know. I never had a chance to do like a lot of these guys do. They they start off in the beginning. They make very few knives because they make very few. The price goes way up, you know. Um, then they can start getting more out on a down low without too many people seeing how many are going. 
um, and kind of build up their price and reputation and, you know, and how hard they are to get at that point. I never had that luxury. I had to, you know, I had to go from literally, I didn't have a job for six months before that to, you know, I got to start having money come in and, you know, and catch back up from, you know, from opening the shop. We didn't get into that whole story, how I got to that point. You know, it was a big fiasco just for me to, you know, for me to actually do this the way it happened. And, um, I'll tell it. <laughs> okay. So, you know, um, where do I even start with that? Um, you know, I don't want to go back to the beginning. So I'm trying to, you know, where do you, where do you start? So I, I, I'm at this company, I'm working, making, you know, designing prototype machinery and stuff. The company had been cha- was changing a lot um, over the last couple of years I was there. Um, I was starting to get unhappy there, but it was still really a great place to work. I was there for quite a while. Well, I end up I end up getting laid off from that place. I come home the day I'm laid off, and you know, saying to my wife, "Well, what the hell are we going to do now? I got to go find another job." Blah blah blah. At least we got a little money that we were able to you know to hold me out for a while. At the time, unemployment was like a year even though I still wouldn't be able to survive on that. I w- they would have taken my house by that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I have this chunk of money now, and my wife said, well, why don't you, you know, you were doing okay with the knives before before this happened. Why don't you try get you know, get the machine and, and, and get it going here? I so we, have to- Jen to, we have Jen to thank for you actually going and purchasing. Y- yeah, she's a fool. <laughs> purchasing <laughs> so, a I mean, to, machine. To, to have three kids, you right. know, and to say, yeah, go ahead, spend what we got from, you know, from that company and on a machine. And, you know, by the time you're done with the machine and the software and the computer and all the tools, yeah. you're talking 50 grand. Yeah. You know, so, but I'm expecting at this point, I'm expecting to get unemployment. But I'm right. not unemployed. I now have a business. So I got screwed. So, and now at this point, you know, I find this out three months into it and I'm like, oh crap, I already spent, uh, you know, I already bought all this stuff. So I had no choice but to make it work. So I just, you know, I just did what I had to do. I I came up with the design. I got the whole process down. I made my first couple. That was in January. When I got laid off, it was October or September, October. I got to January. Um, I finally got my first, I think I made two of them. I got my first two knives done. And, um, but at this point, no money was coming in. So I had to take a job. So I take, I, I find a job. I take a job. It's like an hour away. I went two days in that, in those two days I posted, you know, I had like 34 followers on Instagram. You know, I posted my picture. One person saw it. Another person saw it all of a sudden, you know, I started getting followers and two days at being at that company, I told them, okay, I can, I'm not working here anymore. I'm gone. Because uh, I had enough wow. orders to go, you know, at least six months, and I wanted to try it, so I I went at it. That's wow. just awesome. Le- Levon reposted one of your knives, and next thing you know, it was a full time job. Oh God! <laughs> no, I, I don't even think like I had a decent amount of followers back then. No, you know not back I mean? then. No, yeah. I I remember seeing. Remember, I, I remember it, uh, Jake. You, I remember I saw the knife when I think it was probably that same evening that you probably posted, Brian. And I said, I need this thing. And I think I sent it to you immediately, Jake. Um, and it was yeah. that original Typhoon, and I placed my order uh, that day. I think, Brian, were, you know what? Yeah, you were pretty quick. You were, you were in there pretty quick. You and were on was, a very steep 
incline at that time where you needed a lot of stuff actually yeah need. you know it was my you know it was my responsibility to own something it wasn't yeah. it wasn't a want jesus that's the way it is <laughs> yeah. don't you just love customers like me brian it's the best <laughs> Yeah. So were the Typhoons frame locks or were they uh, liner lock at that point? The first three that I made were, or no, I'm sorry. It ended up being more than three, but the first three that I made um, were a, like a lock segment, you know, so it was like a, um, a sub liner lock. Oh, wow. I thought it was just a, like a liner, a normal liner. No, it was just a little lock segment, you know, so it was a long lock piece. Um, oh, that was, you know, inlaid into the frame on the inside. Wow, they were a little soft, um, but I could have stiffened them up. I did make a few of them. I could have made that design even better. But before I even got to that point, it was like everybody wanted um, frame locks. Everybody who everybody who contacted me, like, oh, I'll, I'll I'll take one if I can get in a frame lock. I was like, all right, well, I'll make them all frame locks then. And uh, that seemed to be what people wanted. Probably, yeah, that being... was right about when that. Sorry, go for it, dude. I was going to say that was right about when the uh, flipper frame lock, you know, tactical knife custom market was going nuts. So. Yeah, it was. It's nuts. Yeah, I mean, and still kind of is. It's sort of become like the bread and butter of the of the folding knife world, you know, and everything kind of mm-hmm. builds from there. Um, and all of your knives have been frame lock flippers uh, up until this mini typhoon. Uh, well, you know, it's, uh, well, the first one wasn't. Um, right. But it really is just a beautiful design. You know, it's the simplicity of it. It works good. It works all the time. It's easy to manufacture. Um, you know, that's why it's done. Preach. I'm a huge Chris <laughs> Reeve apologist. So to hear someone like you saying that the frame lock is a good design, I'm pretty happy about that. Cause I think the frame lock gets a lot of shit these days and people don't realize how fucking perfect it is. Essentially. I mean, yeah. guys the are making them. I'm sorry. Say that sorry, again. I, I, <laughs> I said to Dave, when does the erotic fan fiction come out? <laughs> oh, that'll be a segment later. I've got it. <laughs> Get the dang I'm thing sorry. done. Get the dang thing done. Get the dang thing done. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's Chris Rizzo face apparently. Sounded a little bit more. <laughs> sounded more Australian than South African. <laughs> well, I, it's like, no. no, no one can do a proper South African accent unless you're South African. I'll give you. I'll give you a preview. It's me and Chris Reeve, and we're beating the shit out of Jay Davis at Blade Show 2000, whatever, 12, when he put hands on him. That's how it starts. Wait, that happened? Yeah, you. Oh, I mean, Brian. I'm sorry. I don't want to detract from your thing, but no, it got go, me on a Chris Reeve. Go. Chris Reeve rant, and this is great lore if you are not one of like the YouTube obsessives like I was. Uh, back then, there was a few channels. Jay Davis. You guys know who Jay Davis is, right? Or yeah. you remember him? Yeah. He was like one of the biggest YouTube knife channels when there was only like four people. Right. Uh, and he caused a bunch of shit. He's the one that single-handedly caused the whole ZTL Max like hysteria. Mm-hmm. And he at one point was talking talking real spicy about the uh, heat treat for the Sebenzas back when it was 58-59 HRC. Mm. And Chris Reeve was none too happy with him. And allegedly, allegedly, because we don't want to catch a case... Uh, Chris Reeve and him got into a bit of a physical altercation at Blade. Wow, oh, that's exciting! But, yeah, I've never heard that story. That's amazing. Yeah, Chris Chris <laughs> Reeve put hand, put hands on him. Wow. Has oh, anyone ever Reeve. tried to beat you up, Brian, because of the, the Rockwell <laughs> hardness of your blade? Oh, many people <laughs> try to beat me up, just not over that. Oh, <laughs> not over. You guys got it backwards. 
Chris Reeve is the one that attacked John oh. Davis. Oh, well, then, then maybe it's a more likely scenario for you, Brian. <laughs> Not yet. I, I give you full license to beat up four certain customers of yours. Oh my god, I would the love that. <laughs> so, okay, can we can we actually talk about this for a second? What's the dumbest thing anyone's ever said to you as, I, as a knife maker? I, I would like to tell you, but if I tell you, it's going to totally call this guy out and he's going to know that I'm talking about because it, it's like, it, it's it's it was I was like kind of blown away by the question. You're assuming that people are actually going to listen to this. Good point. All right, so <laughs> <laughs> we can edit it out, Brian. Don't worry. Uh, so one of the questions from a guy was, "Okay, I pick this color bronze, but I'm colorblind. Can you tell me what it looks like? What it's going to look like?" Oh God! <laughs> Should have told him it's going to look blue. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? I mean, look, what did it look like on the on the, the page that you looked at it there? You know, I don't, I didn't know how to answer that. It was, it was awkward. How many people have asked for red? Uh, for like red anodizing? Because I feel like people just don't get that. Yeah, quite a few, but it's, it's, I think it's been getting better. I think the word, is, okay. I think the word is out. All right. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> word's out, guys. You can't anodize shit red. Learn, you should learn that about 10 years ago. Wait, you can't? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. So try. So this guy asked you to describe a color that he probably couldn't even imagine. <laughs> right. I mean, how do you do that? <laughs> how do you explain? Tell me. Tell me what orange looks like. You know, you can. <laughs> That's amazing. All right. I was going to say, how often do you get people that just request like totally absurd materials that they see on YouTube and like, yeah. I want this. And you, no way they can afford like the down payment on just the raw materials themselves. Yeah, just, a lot of guys ask, but luckily I don't do much of that stuff. The stuff that I, I pretty much, you know, unless you're a good customer of mine, a customer of mine, um, I don't even, you know, entertain the idea. I just don't make money doing that stuff. It's it's ridiculous. I, you know, for an example, you know, I made a full Timascus frame knife. I I do both sides. I don't do that one side shit. That's ridiculous to me. Um, and you know, I barely sell the knife to cover the cost of the material. Right. It's my knives just don't go for that kind of price. And part of that is cause you know, I went from literally, you know, zero to, you know, making 25 knives a month for a couple of years. Yeah. I actually had a question about that. Do you think, uh, so that, that is a pretty good explanation. Do you think it, some of it has to do with the fact that people are still kind of prejudicial against CNC and custom knives? They don't understand that, like, it's, you know, a skill as much as any other part that's, of knife making that, is. That's the thing. You think I just, like, you think people just, you know, most guys, there are guys that do it. You know, I, I know a, a young maker now who's didn't have a clue about this stuff, and he dived right into it, and he's doing well. You know, I mean, it's not... It's not brain surgery, but at the same time, it's skills that you have to develop over a long period of time. It's not like I just, you know, my first day out and I can just go make a knife like this. You know, it just it doesn't work, you know, to make one, to make two, to make ten maybe. But, you know, make hundreds at a time work and work well and have right tolerances. It's it's not it's not you can't it's not easy to do. And the big not, thing is, is, too, is that you took, you know, skill sets that you had through. Uh, other professions that you've had and applied them to knife making. I think that's what made your knives uh, unique and as good as they are. You know, it's just you took a lot of knowledge over the course of a bunch of stuff and applied that to your knife. Yeah, but the funny thing is, is from the CNC end, mm -hmm. what I what was required for my job 
you know, if I just if I just learned what was required for the for the job I was doing at the time, I wouldn't know shit. It's ninety percent of it was me making my own shit on the side, you know. It, and that's where I learned all that stuff. So it's uh, I spent lots and lots and lots of time doing it. You know, years of shit, literally that my machine at my work was running all the time, and most of the time it was for me. <laughs> wow, that's really awesome. Wow. You know, but I do think the, you know, I, I do think people are starting to, you know, change. They're starting to see that it's not really how it's made as much as the pride that's taken in the knife in the last few steps. You know, that's really what does it. That's what separates a crappy knife from a good knife. If you just shit out on the end and don't do decent finishes, don't change that screw that you stripped out or, you know, or it's you, you got to do it. You know, it's just, uh, people are spending ridiculous amounts of money, even a $500 knife. It's a knife. You, you don't need a $500 knife in reality, you know? So it, for, for a knife, it better be sharp and it better work. Right. You know, I mean, that's speak for yourself. You don't need a $500 knife. <laughs> <laughs> you you uh, don't need one. If you're right. going to really use them, you probably wouldn't be buying that. Well, the, the, uh, unofficial motto of uh collectible knives and knife collectors is functional art and that uh, you know i think you just described that in a nutshell inadvertently just by describing your um you know your the way that you attacked making knives um it's kind of a natural progression into functional art because they do function very well but uh um, you know they have to be pretty as well i was actually talking jake on to that point I was actually talking to a, a buddy of ours uh, the other week, and he, he you know, he's in, he's relatively new to the knife making world, uh, and he's got he's all hung up on the whole handmade thing. But he he actually was looking at Brian's knives, and he's obsessed with them. And I was like, when you think about it this way, it's like furniture making. Take two for people who make furniture, right? One guy who's like this old fashioned guy who uses you know all hand tools, and he makes this very sturdy, very traditional looking bookshelf. Meanwhile, there's this other artist who is putting together this bookshelf using all of these crazy power tools. Maybe he employs some computer stuff, but you have end up with this incredibly ornate and beautiful bookshelf that still works very, very well as a bookshelf. Do you take anything away from either one of these people? You know, and that seemed to click when it came to uh, the world of custom knives. You know, right? I hear you. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of weird that we are so obsessed with uh, modernity otherwise. Like, uh, we all want the newest phones and computers and shit. And then people have this really <laughs> bizarrely antiquarian view of uh, of, not, of knife making in general. Uh, it's, it's like you go to the doctor and if you have a cut on your leg, you don't ask them to cut your leg off because you appreciate the <laughs> handwork involved in amputating your fucking leg like they did in the 19th century. <laughs> right. So... <laughs> Like, why do we need to force knife makers to make their knives probably worse than they could be? Because uh, a human is not as precise as a machine. And there are certain things that CNCs really are, I, I, I think, better for. So, yeah, As far as precision, there's, there's no question. I think the answer is just that a, a collection, a good collection has a little bit of everything. I, I, I like some of the imperfections that exist in handmade stuff um, because it sort of tells the story of the maker and... I'm probably not going to trust those uh, as far as lock failure or, you know, for the blade to be hardened as accurately every time and things like that. It's just two different, for me at least, it's just two different uh, purposes for an item that, you know, from 20 feet away, it looks similar, but 
um, you know, one's for precision as the, and the other is more for uh, looking at on a, in a display case or something like that. Not like you've never had a production knife uh, fail on you. Uh, of course. Yeah. And, and that's a popular topic in this household too, is uh, <laughs> the, the knives that are for using are not necessarily the same knives that are for collecting. <laughs> and I've had a right. fir firsthand experience of almost losing a, a tendon and a very important finger from a failed uh, frame lock. So, and from a very reputable uh, production company too. Now let me ask you that: Were you doing something you weren't supposed to be doing with it? Uh, not. I was not batoning or uh, spine whacking or any of the. Uh, I don't know what the t the typical what you're not supposed to be doing. Um, just I was holding it away that I probably should not have been holding it, but not doing anything that should have uh, allowed the frame to to slip. It was right, actually you were like a, stabbing a, a fifty-five gallon drum with it, or. No, no, I, I was literally just <laughs> holding it and kind of wiggling it, giving, hands, giving it the blade blade yeah. wobble, uh, blade play test, and it just snapped. It was uh, Damn. yeah, un unfortunate manufacturing uh, error. I think it was, um, you know, I think I blocked that whole <laughs> week yeah. out of my memory pretty well. But if I remember, the uh, the lock was just cut. The whole thing was on an angle, and it never kind of returned to a, yeah. a ninety I like mean, it should at the end. As a maker, that scares the shit out of me. You know, I, I know uh, we talked about that before yeah, about your your lock bar pressure and your uh, uh, dedication to making sure it doesn't know, fail. <laughs> now you now you know my lock bar pressures aren't nearly what they were, <laughs> but in the beginning I was just like you know what hands to begin with, so it didn't really seem bad to me. But I just was so afraid of somebody doing something stupid with it, and then you know me being <laughs> held liable for it. So uh, I, I made the locks really strong then. You know, but uh, it's, 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 it scares me. It's, it still scares me. You know, it's uh, what are you going to do, though? You know, you hope that they're using it the way they're supposed to be. And uh, that's all you can do. Well, you, you obsess over making sure that before it leaves your shop, it's right. And I've seen you do that. And uh, yeah, from there, it's all you know, up to the end user. You know, every every knife is, you know, I spine test every knife and um, I've I've never had a problem here. So what, what what scares me is maybe you know wear out in the out in the field, or you know things start to wear in, and then you know it's it's just a little loose, and you really would just need to go a little bit of a. Uh, but they don't do mm -hmm. it because it's so fast now, you know, and now the you know now it's not sitting <laughs> centered, and you know then you know things can get things can get out of whack, so you don't know. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. It'll be interesting to see what they look like after they're. 10 or 20 years old, you know, that's not something that we can uh, <laughs> look at currently. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I mean, I every time I see somebody who has one of my knives, you know, I always ask to check it out. I want to see how things are holding up. And uh, Yeah. I think these new ones will be even better, hold up even better. Um, you know, now I'm not putting the titanium, right. you know, the, the balls right on the titanium as a race. Balls. I actually have a, a hard backspacer now, so... Uh, Does that really make that big of a difference? Because people obsess over that sometimes and i've always been curious from you know someone that's more experienced it definitely wears in there's no doubt that it wears in you know once it wears in the the initial wear in do you you know does it does it keep going i guess it depends on how rough you are with the knife if you were really rough with the knife and putting a lot of you know side pressure on that while you're cutting or something maybe but you know these 
this, the distance that it travels and the speed that it goes, it's this is like nothing. Some of those bearings are made to, you know, go 10,000 RPMs and, you're, you know, it's, it's doing nothing. So, I, I, I yeah, I've, I've found the, the same thing because that's, uh, I'm, I tend to be really interested in the nitty gritty engineering side of uh, knives more than anything else. And, um, you know, even working on a, a prototype of my own, trying to see, um, you know, are, that exact question are, are these um ball bearings gonna make a race and then stop or are they gonna make a race and then just keep going and the tolerance keeps changing and you keep tightening the pivot over time and um I, it seems that people are a, a little <laughs> a little more worried about it than than they should be because in reality it'll move you know a half a millimeter over its lifetime and once that race is pushed out it really uh, struggles to go any further uh but obviously, you know, a hardened, uh, hardened steel backer is not a, not a bad idea. So, but like you said, it really, it all depends on the use. I mean, if you, if you're using it as a pry bar every day, you know, right. that's, that's a different story. Now, the thing with using the, the, um, the hardened washers is now you know you don't have the balls in the races keeping your blade centered. Not when mm -hmm. I say centered, not centered, um, you know, tip centered. But um, we're still talking about knives, right? Centered on the axis axis of the pivot. Mm -hmm. So really, you can your your tolerance for your for your pivot doesn't have to be nearly as tight when you're putting the race into the frame, or you won't notice it. Let me put it that way: you won't yeah. notice it is if if the races are going into the blade in the frame. But if you put the the hardened washers, because you're not, you know you're not getting any of that um, centering of the bearing, mm -hmm. uh, you have to make sure your pivot tolerance is is, is tight. Yeah. Speak for yourself, guys. I wrist flick my knives out so fast that they get to ten thousand RPM. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding, Chris Reeve. I would never do that. I would never do that, Chris. I'm yeah. all gonna come back to Chris Reeve. Oh my god. No, because he'll come down on you. He's like the, the ghost of Christmas past. He finds out if you've wrist flicked your knives and he visits you in the middle of the night. <laughs> Sounds like another so one for, of your wet dreams. I was gonna say for me it ends differently than for other people. <laughs> that 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 is that feels like such a strange policy when it when I hear of makers or, or uh you know, production companies that investigate um, you know, if if a knife has been quote unquote abuse when the definition of abuse can just be if, it, if you were the if you took it apart at some point then then clearly uh there's no way that it'll ever go back properly again or something to that effect yeah medford has a whole fucking forensics lab to make sure yep. you haven't ever touched your knife yeah he's got fucking gil grissom from csi now that he's out of work <laughs> figuring out if you fucked with your knife well this is my opinion on it and it's funny because i i it happens all the time. I, first off, I don't know why you guys take the knives apart to begin with. There's no really no reason for it. you blow them out with some air, blow them out with some contact cleaner, whatever. Put the drops of oil in there, you're good to go. You don't have to fuck with anything. You don't have to fuck up the, you know, the Torx heads or any of that crap. It'll look like you, just the way you had it. There's no reason, are you, are really. You, are you picking on well, me? Is no, that what I'm, this is all about? I have people that I send them the knives. The day they get it, they call me up. Yeah, I fucked up all the screws. Can you send me a new set of screws? It's like, you just got it. What are you taking in, apart? In our defense, your knives don't need to be taken apart. But I, without naming any names, there are some very big, very popular tactical knives out there that absolutely do need to be taken. Like like getting yeah. a new pistol, you got to you gotta 
get the factory grease and stuff out of it before you shoot it, there are knives that definitely need to be tweaked and tuned before they can go into uh, service in the pocket. <laughs> uh, Emerson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Among others. Yes, among others. Jake, Jake lovingly calls that uh, counting counting their rings. Yes, you have to cut it open and count its rings. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, so, like, going back to this, it's like, and the strange policies that uh, uh, manufacturers have. Um, and then you go watch, like, any of the, you know, one of the, my big rituals after any big show, like Shot Show or Blade Show, is to go on YouTube and, and look at what all the manufacturers are, are, are bringing out for that year um and they always have like some representative going through each one of the knives and it's this representative always looks like they've never touched a freaking knife in their life and like it comes it opens with a flipper and they're like flinging it across the room with their wrist (laughs) could you do some research before you employed these people to show off your knives it's just a very strange thing you know like the only company i think that has like a competent person talking about their knives is ZT. Quartermaster. <laughs> Quarter, oh, wait, do they even have a, Yo, does he even show yeah, they have Jared ZT? West in the they have Jared West in the lobby. In the lobby. Strong out after ca- Yes, after he caught the hot bag. Yeah, oh man. <laughs> needle needle hanging out of his arm. Yeah, he's nodding off in the middle of the fucking shot show interview. Wow. Is, I guess we're not Is this allegedly really, or has this really happened? Oh, this is all it doesn't bullshit. matter. It doesn't matter. It's probably going to happen. Yo, speaking of it, more great knife community lore. Please tell me you guys have seen the video of him on the news where he is holding the fucking chihuahua being interviewed about like a plane catching on fire in California that he was on. No. No. No, this shit is real. Google Jared West. He was on a plane that like caught on fire on the runway and they interviewed him afterwards and he is holding a chihuahua in one arm looking strung out (laughs) as hell. And I can't can't make this shit up. This is real. (laughs) Was the Chihuahua real or just like a stuff a stuffed animal that ho- contains all of his heroin? No, it was a hundred percent made in Texas. <laughs> a yeah, a dog mule dog. Was... Yes. <laughs> a Chihuahua packed with heroin. Yes. It's sad because oh, it's true. No one's gonna listen to this anymore. We're, we've lost no, so many of our, our all the drug addicts that will listen to this. No, the real esoteric references. Yeah, we'll lose Warren Thomas too. Zing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, that was Knife Haters was alleging that he was a meth addict at one point. You know, hey, you uh, your sound. Yeah, we... To get back on topic, though, I did have a question for you, Brian. <laughs> uh, steel lock bar inserts. So a lot of custom makers will tell you you don't need one. I, you have seem to have always opted for them on your frame locks. Can you explain a little bit about why you think that's necessary and why you do it? Titanium is soft. Over time, it's, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to change now. Is it necessary? Do you have to do it? No, it's proven that you don't have to do it. But why would you not want the hardest thing you can have there? Uh, it, to me, it's an an, an obvious, you know, an obvious thing. You know, now you never have to worry about it. But more importantly than that, the reason why I did it was a couple things. Is one is because the detent that way I did it. I wanted it to be strong, so I had to make it in an insert. Then, um, huh. Um, there's so many things I want to say about it. How do you say them all? It's, 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 uh, my mind's going a million miles an hour because I think I can think about it fast and I can talk about it. Um, it's the drugs. Part of that, yes. 
Well, it's your floor, so feel free to clean yeah. whatever you want. Yeah, Fuck! <laughs> um, Did you just fall? No, I'm just trying to get my head together. I'm whacked out now. <laughs> it was all that talk about Jared West and the dog. <laughs> the, the mule dog ruined everything. Oh, my bad. Okay, so the, the important thing that I wanted to be able to do with it is if it does wear or something does go wrong with it, it's changeable. You know, I thought when I first started making and screwing around with pushing the ball in for the detent and I was making frame locks and just testing stuff, um, getting that lock angle right and machine and, and cutting it into the into that, you know, aluminum, I mean, titanium frame I just made was always dicey for me. Um, you know, get that part out of the situation. Now it was a little lock insert. If I cut it, if I cut it too small, I put in a new one. You know, it's no big deal. Somebody, somebody called me up and says, you know what? My lock's getting a little deep now. Okay. What, you know, you can take it off and measure it and I can send you one or I can, you know, you can send it to me and I can change it. It's, it's just a simple thing now. Why it's, <laughs> why throw away a whole frame or have to dick around with a whole frame, you know, when it's just going to be a little plus hardened piece. Plus, as we mentioned before, that lock insert has your little detent shoe machined into it as well. Right. I couldn't do that in titanium, obviously. Yeah. Right. Has anyone tried to license your detent nub shoe thing? I haven't looked to see if anybody else tried to put anything in. Um, you know, I've thought about it before. I thought about it in the beginning. It's, you know, uh, it's not, it, it's a knife. It's not rocket science. You know, it's, um, it is what it is. Um, by you know getting any type of ip on it um what's it going to do for me you know it really is not going to do nothing for me it's, well uh, people people have approached you to use your design though yeah a couple guys have asked if they can do something i haven't seen anything anybody use it yet because one it's not cost effective to do and you and, and only guys with cnc machinery are going to do it so it's kind of it's the knife world seems for the most part it's the higher end guys, the guys, they don't take, they're not taking other people's stuff. You don't want to be known as that guy. Mm, right. You know, it's the new up and comer guys that, oh, that, that like that feature and incorporate it into theirs. And that's, you know, it's a knife. It's, <laughs> you know, there's only so much you can do with it. So, uh, whether you came up with it yourself or you saw it somewhere and it triggered something off while you're designing it, it's, um, it is what it is. It's, you, it's, it's a knife. Well said. <laughs> That's true. Well, we're, we're going on about an hour and a half here. Um, Brian, I did want to ask you a little bit about the mini typhoon builds and how they're coming along. Can people still get one if they want one, or have you closed the books entirely? I, I closed the books, and when I closed the books, I knew, you know, I had to, I have to already start ordering materials and all that stuff and get that going because, you know, some of it's, you know, takes some lead time. I get, you know, materials shipped to somebody, and then I do have them, you know, my frames water jet out. So it's just a profile is water jet. I have no holes, no lock bars, none of that stuff. And that's just so I can handle it easier here. You know, my little shop, I can't, you know, could I cut the frames out totally from here? Of course. But with the little shop, I, you know, there's certain things that you have to do to try to alleviate some of that big stuff, you know, dealing with big sheets and stuff. So, um, you know, that takes time and, you know, having stuff, you know, then I got to make the blade and send out to get heat treated. So, Basically, I, I opened them for a week, I closed them, and then I added onto that list some extras because I know I keep getting people that, uh, oh, I forgot, and I couldn't make up my mind. You know, it's 
Are you still open? It's three weeks ago. You can't make up your mind now. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> so that's. I mean, that's it for the mini typhoon. Two, you did two. You did two batches, and both of them filled up really quick. You think these? Uh, this is the first knife that you've built in a while that's really echoed the success of the mini typhoon. I know the yeah. other the cyclone the and the hurricane. Yeah, I know that the cyclone and the hurricane also did well. But it seemed like there was a lot of fanfare for this particular model as well. And it's funny, coming back to it, and it seems to be popular again. You know, I'm sure, still with the amount of people that I turn away, that I can get an, another run or two in if I wanted. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know that I want to be making these for the next two years, you know? Right. Um, I do have other designs I want to get to. Unfortunately, this is a popular one. The advantage of CNC is I can always come back at a later time and do it. That's true. You know, and um, that's what I like about it. But it seems like everybody's attention spans are so short as it is. I think it's better, you know, I can come out with a new design every six months, eight months, or, you know, once a year, come out with a new design and, uh, you know, get enough orders that it's worth doing. Well, that's awesome. And, uh, you know, we all wish you the best with everything that you've been doing and any future builds that you're doing we're always excited to see what you what you're coming out with and we can't wait i can't i can't wait. after seeing what you're doing for blade show i know the world is going to be uh, when i say the world i mean the small <laughs> you you, you three guys are the knife committee <laughs> impressed with what you're doing so that's pretty exciting I, it's um, so hard for me to keep a wrap on it you know what i mean part of you know part like instagram even for me it's as much as it's for the for other people to see my shit it's for me to just to keep going because uh you know being in the garage all day every day just making this stuff it's you start to go crazy so you know to do this and not be able to show it is killing me wow so when do you think uh, we'll get a a taste of what you're what you're making um i have another piece of steel coming that should be here tomorrow i want to make um a second blade um not sure which one i'm going to go with for this for this fancy one and um we get them heat treated, and I'm going to do the frame. I don't know. It's uh, I'm debating still, on what, let what, us know. what part do I show. You know, wh when do I start right. showing it? If I, you know, if I start showing it too early, it's it seems like people are already done with it. You know, they're it's so I kind of want to hold out to the last minute if I can. I don't. Yeah, I think that's probably a good idea. Um, but. The three of us were wondering, Brian, you know, we really appreciate you being uh, the first guest on this podcast that no one's going to listen to. And, uh, you know, with us pretty well, you know, you get our humor. You, you're, you don't have much of a filter, which kind of works with us. And, uh, <laughs> Doesn't, work for me. Doesn't work for <laughs> our wife. Well, we'll see, I mean, she's welcome to come on anytime as well. But what we were going to actually ask you is, um, would you like to be a permanent host of the Knife Nuts podcast? Really? <laughs> Wait. I just got a tear that I got. A, I'm, a little, I'm a little choked up. Yo, the acting is so good, guys. I know. On <laughs> point. Like we didn't win an Emmy for a before. podcast? You're kidding, right? Maybe I'm missing my calling. Maybe I should stop knife making and go into acting. I think you have. I think you have. So we'll take that as a resounding yes. Yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> I'd like to do this yeah. again, like get, at least so I can get a little more comfortable. Good. So you've heard that here first, guys. Uh, 
Brian is actually going to be a permanent member of the Knife Nuts podcast. He's not just going to be a guest on this show. So think of it as Top Gear's uh, tame racing driver. Only our, <laughs> our tame knife maker never shuts up. So yeah, it's well, perfect. That's good because I have a lot of questions still to ask. <laughs> good. But we'll have time. Uh, absolutely. And it's, it's good to have uh, the perspective of a knife maker when discussing certain yes. things. So I think that'll, uh, you know be an interesting addition to this uh this adventure that we're going on um but in closing i just want to talk a little bit about uh where you can get in contact with us and maybe give everybody a little bit uh some other resources some other really cool podcasts that are out there for people to listen to uh and and go on from there so i'll start i'll say anybody can reach me on instagram at metaleva so that's m-e-t-a-l-e-v-o-n um, I'm pretty much on everything, but I'm m- really most active on Instagram. Uh, and that's where you can find me. I'm sure we'll have some YouTube stuff coming up in the in the future as well under Knife Nuts. So, uh, Dave, why don't you go next? Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram as underscore misanthropia because I apparently was not the only angsty teenager who liked that moniker. Uh, <laughs> I am misanthropia on the USN and Blade Forums. I'm always on Blade Forums, so you can get me there. Uh, and you can also email me through the uh, Blade Forms email tool or at knifenutspodcast at gmail.com. He actually still is a an angsty teenager. But in all seriousness, uh, Dave actually has a really cool YouTube channel and does some really cool uh, reviews on some interesting production. Maps. Wow, I can't believe I forgot to plug that. Yeah, yeah I'm glad I... Uh, I have a YouTube channel. <laughs> That's pretty good. Jake, you're up. Sure, so I'm also... Uh on Instagram more than anything else, uh, often, uh, lo- you know, in the same location as Levon. Uh, so I'm whiskey pickle Jake and, uh, we used to use the whiskey pickle knife hashtag for all of our, uh, knife collecting adventures. Um, so anywhere in there and on blade forums as well, Jake underscore Lucas, uh, and anywhere, anywhere you find Levon. <laughs> We're usually not far apart. (laughs) We're best friends. (laughs) Uh, But a couple of really cool uh, things to check out. Uh, You know, the Knife Knife Nuts uh, YouTube channel will be up shortly. Hopefully we'll be able to upload this and a couple other things on there as time goes on. Um, But as far as other podcasts go, the Modern Neanderthal podcast is a great one to check out. Um, uh, That was one that influenced a bunch of us. Uh, Dave, do you know a couple more? Yeah, there's Gear Geeks Live, which uh, is Tony from Everyday Commentaries podcast. Uh, very opinionated. I respect him because he speaks his mind. I don't agree with him on a lot of stuff, but it's a good one to check out. Mm-hmm. Epic Snuggle oh. Bunny on YouTube is another what, one I watch frequently. What a very American opinion to have. <laughs> I love it. Well, can I just say right now, if anyone says that a knife that is over three and a half or that has a blade of three and a half inches or over is huge. I, I'm going to, I, I will lose it. <laughs> Jake's going to swaddle. He's going to swaddle an American, a, a bald Eagle with an American flag and curl up with it and go to sleep tonight. Now. <laughs> I, I do actually sleep with an American flag. That's no joke. <laughs> yeah. Do you sleep with one of Brian's American flag knives? No, it, you know, of all the people, uh, I should definitely have one of those. And, uh, sadly I don't, but, 1200 bucks on True North Knives right now. Brian, send him a link. Yeah, I did see that. That looks very good. Brian, where can people find you? Um, 
being a hermit inside my garage, that's where I am 99% of the time. So if you're driving around, you can just always stop by. Look but for the in reality, um, Sharp by Design on Instagram is pretty is typically the easiest. I'm always checking it out. Um, I get you know back and forth the DMs. I'm pretty uh, active on it. So that's that's probably the first priority. Um, then or email, and that's b dot a dot n a d e a u at gmail, and uh, that's that's the easiest. Any other way, don't don't call me. I'll call you. <laughs> and on that note i want to thank everyone for listening to this even though probably no one will um hopefully we'll be back for a second episode we're hopefully doing this at most uh once a week so uh we hope to see everybody soon thank you very much have a good night see you everybody take care laters <laughs>